1: My special guest today is Chantel Reagan. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Chantel is a doctor of pharmacy and is pursuing a certification from the Institute for Functional Medicine. In pharmacy school, she was always taught to use non-pharmacologic options wherever possible, but didn't quite take that to heart until her oldest son was diagnosed with ADHD. Her aha moment happened while she was reading The Wheat Belly Diet by Dr. William Davis excellent book. And it was from this experience that she developed the 4S approach to ADHD. Chantel, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show.
2: Thank you so much, Dr. Carey. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: You know, Chantel, actually, you're the first guest that I have on uh, to talk about ADD, ADHD.
2: Oh, fantastic. So that is... um... That's great. I don't know where you'd like to start, but I'm I'm happy to just, you know, provide some overview of where we're at currently in the uh conventional treatment for the for the disorder.
1: Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot we could talk about. Sure. We're going to try and condense it to about a half hour here. So let's first start with the traditional western medical approach. Like how does a child get diagnosed and what are the typical uh, treatment options?
2: Sure. So there is a, a combination of what current practitioners use. They use um, questionnaires that are basically given to parents and teachers, and they go through a series of questions that just assess um, functionality. I'm spe- specifically se- speaking about ADHD in children, but it can also apply to adults. So it's a set of questionnaires, and depending on the score of that questionnaire, the Child can get um, can get diagnosed with ADHD. Additionally, there's some other you know practitioners that have uh, a few more things that they, they can do. They they look at, um, but by and large, um, the the mode of treatment right now is medication along with behavioral modification. Um, oftentimes, behavioral modification is tried first and may or may not be successful. So medications are started quite frequently soon thereafter. A couple of years ago, there was a study in the uh, American Journal of Pediatrics that looked at which mode of treatment people were using. And this was in school-aged children, uh, three to 17. And you might remember some headline news. It was, you know, about 50% of uh, preschoolers were even using ADHD medications, so it's it's definitely the mainstream. And you know, there are so many things that we'll get into, I'm sure, in this interview that you can address before you even try to go that route.
1: Okay, so then, what is the functional medicine approach to ADHD?
2: So the functional medicine approach, I think, you know, as you pointed out with your new book coming out, it all starts in the gut. The gut is really our um, avenue for a lot of our chronic diseases, and what what I found is that gut disorder cannot only manifest as gastrointestinal or stomach uh, disorders, but it could. It's very much related to the brain. We know that eighty five percent of the serotonin that we make is in our gut, so they're very much related, um, and a leaky gut can manifest uh, with ADHD symptoms. So we definitely want to try to um, understand what level of leaky gut someone has. There's also a variety of vitamin and mineral deficiencies that can, can often um, be mistaken as ADHD symptoms. And so you know, we're addressing things like the, on a micronutrient level, maybe getting some testing for that um, as well. And that can really, um, that can really help uh, functionality, especially in the brain. We, go ahead.
1: Okay. So I I just wanted to kind of stop there and kind of go back a little bit, uh, because you were mentioning leaky gut, which I know what leaky gut is and you know what leaky gut is, but some of our listeners aren't quite familiar with that term. Sure. So can you just kind of give us the basics of what does that mean? What is a leaky gut and why is that bad?
2: Yep. So in our intestinal lining, we have um, junctions. And basically, uh, molecules can get passed back and forth through that. And and normally, when they're tight, um, things are functioning properly. The the gut is is intact and functioning properly. But any kind of irritant, whether that be... Um, something that we're allergic to, a food, a medication, um, anything and you know some sort of funky chemical in an our environment can break down those tight junctures and allow some of these uh, molecules to get through. and it basically sort of creates this reaction and again can manifest as you know stomach symptoms and depression and ADHD and a whole host of other things. So on a, the most simplified level, that's really what, Uh, you know, how I like to explain the leaky gut.
1: And uh, so I'm so glad that you've kind of uh, explained that for our listeners, because that's like one of the most basic fundamental concepts that a lot of the health problems that people have, like it often stems from a leaky gut. So like we always in functional medicine want to see like, is there a leaky gut? And then why is there a leaky gut?
2: Exactly, yeah. So, you know, there's, there's many ways to, to sort of go about that. Um, one of the things that, you know, often is, you know, not addressed, I sort of I think at a, at a root cause could be some sort of allergen. What are you putting into your body or what is around you in your environment? And that's one of the first things that I would take a look at is just, you know, at a, at a, at a functional level, what's going in.
1: Okay, so so let's talk a little bit more about that because I think a lot of uh, listeners out there suspect, well, not that they suspect, but they understand that there could be a component of food allergies and food sensitivities. You know, kind of going back to your bio, um, talking about how, you know, you read the book, The Wheat Belly by Dr. William Davis, and that, that really kind of gave you that aha moment. I think a lot of people actually have that moment that, yeah, it really could be as simple as there are food sensitivities going on, and yes, they can create this much chaos with your health.
2: Right. So I think, you know, there are a handful, five or six of the most common allergenic foods. So we have wheat, corn, soy, dairy, eggs, and... Soy, uh, wheat, gluten, corn, dairy, eggs, soy—I think those are the, the basics. So, at a, at a fundamental level, there's been a lot of studies that have been done, especially in ADHD, with um, some of these food sensitivities. And you know, there is conflicting uh, data out there as to whether you know gluten causes ADHD or or um, soy or dairy. But there there are fairly you know decent links to gluten and dairy. Um, I find that a lot of the people that I work with, once removing those two um, foods, you know, experience a, a lot of symptom relief. And you know that that's not to say that that's it. You know, certainly there are um, tests that you can get. There is some in the the medical community. There's some um, conflict as to whether food sensitivity testings are truly. Accurate. Some people think that just you know an elimination diet might be the best way to determine what actually works best for you. In other words, um, I may react. I might my food sensitivity test may come back normal for gluten, but if I take it out of my diet and I get rid of my ADHD symptoms, then there was definitely something there. So there are definitely are tests that we can do, and, and um, even simple elimination diets are um, are very helpful.
1: Excellent. So again, that list was gluten, wheat, corn, soy, dairy, and eggs. Yes. And so for the listeners out there who, let's say, some of them have already tried that. They've already tried that approach. They've tried an elimination diet. They've tried removing these basic foods. And you don't really see much of a change. What's the next thing that they should be thinking about?
2: Well, I would actually really strongly, I've, I've been involved in elimination diets when people don't really get it all out. So you know, I'll sort of try to refine that as to a level two, just to make sure that um, you know we're really making we're really making a good attempt to, to determine whether or not that's the case. <laughs> I like um, that you say that. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I, I definitely think there's uh, there's some it, it's it can be very intimidating, but at the same time, if you can you can do it in a slow manner and still get some benefits. So um, definitely have some suggestions for that, uh, but in a, you know w- once we're past that phase, there are the other um, environmental toxins that I think really um, go a long way with you know, reducing some of them. There's so many great. We know that the skin is our largest organ, and and there's so many great natural skincare products right now because basically what you normally find in your grocery stores. Or in your local, you know, pharmacies, even is just full of toxic chemicals. But if you can refine some of those products that you're using on, particularly on your skin, on your body, on a daily basis, that can really reap some benefits as well with helping with um, the leaky gut. We also, I also like to suggest um, just, you know, incorporating some probiotic foods before we even get into um, probiotic. Supplements. I think just you know trying to you know sort of shift some of that um, the gut microbiome, which is basically you know the your your chemical makeup in in your gut and your intestines. Um, So things like um, grass-fed yogurt and uh, raw sauerkraut and kimchi and things like that can can really also um, be beneficial.
1: Okay, fantastic. So let's switch gears here because something else you mentioned early on in our conversation was about there are certain vitamins and minerals that can potentially be deficient and actually create a lot of the different symptoms of yes. ADHD. So, so can you talk about that?
2: Yeah, for sure. So um, there's you know uh, there's some evidence that uh, omega three fatty acids so. Things like when you're thinking of foods, uh, things like salmon and fatty fish, um, um, we also can you know, get that in a supplement form. But looking at the, uh, the whole foods form is, is a great way to do that because basically the, two, the components of omega-3 fatty acids really support a healthy brain. Um, it's also good for cardiovascular health, but for sure, we're trying to incorporate more omega-3s into the diet um, also krill is also krill oil is also been shown to be beneficial in um, adhd and possibly will be a little less um, a little more um, bioavailable meaning it can get get into our bodies a little bit easier so those are two i think one of the switching over to sort of vitamin deficiencies, the B vitamins. I always think of B vitamins as B for the brain, they're so important. There's eight of them. Um, we know that, particularly, B6 pyridoxine makes our neurotransmitters, so um, that's really important for things like serotonin. B12. Methyl b12 can help regenerate some of our brain neurons as well as the the myelin sheath that protects them so absolutely um critical other micronutrients that i think are really important and sometimes deficient are things like magnesium we it's very synergistic to one of the b vitamins vitamin b6 and we know that about 80 percent of our population is deficient so um really important to just sort of replenish magnesium there's easy things like taking an epsom salt bath there are some magnesium oil sprays Um, but you have to sort of watch the dose because it can cause a little bit of diarrhea depending on um, what you're taking the form and and how it's being uh, absorbed another critical vitamin is vitamin d and we know that about 50% of children are deficient in vitamin D. It is really critical for our bones, our immune function, um, and just you know general health as well. So I live um, in the northeast near Philadelphia. So for sure, in the winter, we're not getting out in the sun at all. So I'm sure to have myself and my family take a vitamin D3 supplement during those times. But you know you can very easily just step out into the sun for a few minutes just to, to get that during the the uh, spring and summertime. I'll just go through two real other quick ones, Dr. Carey. Zinc is also a critical um, uh, micronutrient in, in ADHD. It's really essential for dopamine synthesis, which is affects our mood, it affects our concentration, and it also converts vitamin b6 into its active form so it helps the b the b vitamins as well um, so incredibly important for uh, for reducing symptoms as well just making sure the zinc levels are optimal and then lastly iron is another one that i find to be um, significant there was a study a while back that looked at children with ADHD, and 84% of them had significantly lower levels of iron compared with 18% of kids without ADHD. So really good to get ferritin levels checked by a practitioner. You want to make sure you don't have too much because it can block other things like zinc, copper, and manganese. So just sort of keeping those in check. And I always recommend working with a practitioner to understand what your levels are before blindly supplementing.
1: Okay, so again, to recap, we talked about essential fatty acids and krill oil, B vitamins, especially B6 and B12, magnesium, vitamin D, zinc, and iron. And I have to say, Chantel, that is a terrific list. And I have used many of those nutrients in my private practice. I usually actually don't see children in my private practice. Mm -hmm. But for the adults that come in, so many adults are struggling with anxiety, depression, and poor concentration, and poor memory, and they feel like they have adult ADD or adult ADHD, and maybe they do. But yeah, so for the listeners out there, these things can help with kids who are struggling. They can help with adults that are struggling. Chantel, with patients who suspect they might have these deficiencies, what are your recommendations as far as do, do we test these patients? Do we just give them a bottle of supplements and say, try this for 30 days, let's see what happens. How do you approach that?
2: I really like to test. I think that you don't know what you don't know, and um, there is here in the States, we have a test by SpectraCell that looks at all of those micronutrients. And there's some tests that you can get just through your traditional doctors, you know, vitamin D level and things like that. Um, But, you know, sometimes we're so low, for example, in vitamin D that you need like almost a mega dose. So I really wouldn't like to to, to treat that blindly. So for sure, you know, things like um, I mentioned before, the omegas and the krills, you're not going to test for that, but you can always supplement in your diet. And that's always a um, a benefit. But for the, the vitamins and minerals, I absolutely recommend testing.
1: Yeah, that spectra cell test is a great test. And it also tells you a little bit about some of the amino acids.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: Which we didn't even get into that We didn't even get, into, didn't that even get into, yes.
2: Yep, yep. <laughs> that could be like a whole nother show. I, I think so, yes.
1: <laughs> okay, so let's kind of switch gears and talk about your 4S approach.
2: Sure, yes. Yeah. So when I, as you mentioned, you know, I struggled with my son, who was going through this um, very early in life, he was um, just coming out of preschool, so we talked about that study before, and I wasn't, I'm wasn't. i a pharmacist. I just wasn't ready to go down that road of medication at such a young age. So we came up with a structured ap- approach once we figured out some of the, um, the food sensitivities um, I, I consider stress both stress that you're putting on the body it could be emotional or physical stress um, so stress starting with what are you putting in so we talked about those four those five key allergens and maybe you know removing those or doing some sense food sensitivity testing uh, I think that is is critical but also another component of uh, stress is just you know that that physical stress or that emotional stress that we think of where we're running around and we um, are just always on overdrive so it's just taking some simple practices within your day whether that's some deep breathing some um you know one thing i like to do or recommend to people is the um, dr Weil has a, a i think it's a 478 breathing technique or 578 i can't remember exactly what it is but it's basically hold your breath for five seconds um inhale for five seconds hold your breath for seven seconds and exhale for eight seconds and that any time of day can really just de-stress and and reduce you know all of that uh busy activity going on within your body so simple breathing activities i could go on we could do a whole show on on this as well um but that seems to work well especially with the the pediatric population Um, so that's sort of stress but there's you know many other things we have the environmental stresses the the chemical toxins and things like i mentioned with you know just cleaning up the products that you use on an everyday basis Um, this this other one is sugar and sugar is uh, a key component and and we all know the stories of you know sugaring kids up and they're running around like um, crazy people because they have too much sugar. But there's really something to be said for that. There is, um, you know, some literature to su- support that sugar does play an impact in ADHD symptoms. And I'm not talking about just you know white table sugar. Sugar is in a lot of the foods, processed foods that we eat. So simply by eliminating a lot of those processed foods, you're going to be reducing the sugar that is in. Uh, you know, refined carbohydrate products that you might buy, you know, in the grocery store. Um, so balancing the, the blood sugar is another key, key component under that sugar uh, bucket. So how do we do that? We can, you know, have some protein when we do eat carbohydrate, um, again, reducing those refined sugars and, and carbs and then increasing some of the healthier fats we talked about, like those omega-3 sources, the fatty fish, um, anti-inflammatory oils like coconut or olive oil, um, and just, you know, eating that rainbow, eating the rainbow of real foods, nutrient-dense real foods can really uh, help balance that blood sugar and just reduce the overall sugar uh Content. So we hit stress, we hit sugar. The third one is sleep, and that really is critical. I see it with both um, kids and adults. It's so underrated how important sleep is in just our daily life. So, um, you know, really making a habit of having that that ritual of going to bed at the same time. It sounds incredibly boring, doesn't it? But it, it's just so crucial and beneficial, and we don't even realize how much children need. They need like anywhere between, um, you know, nine to 12 hours, depending on how old they are. Just simple things like, um, eliminating screen time, at least an hour before bedtime, take having those calming rituals, like, you know, reading books or, uh, taking a bath with those magnesium salts, or even, you know, blocking out some of the, um, the the lights you can wear those yellow goggles if you've seen them they're they're blue light blockers and that can really increase the melatonin and help have um, productive sleep so that's the um, the third S stress sugar sleep and the fourth is supplementation so we talked you know a little bit about that in what we just discussed in terms of the um, vitamin and mineral deficiencies. So it was the you know, the omega-3s, uh, the krill oil, things like probiotics. If we're at a point where we feel like that leaky gut could be repopulated with some good bacteria, there are um, some excellent probiotic supplements on the market. But I will caution you to really uh, pay attention to the brand that you're buying and where you're buying it from nine times out of 10, if you go into a local pharmacy, that probiotic that's sitting on that shelf probably isn't stable enough to do the job that it can do, should do in your body and and really isn't even effective. So most of the um, probiotics that I recommend, if they're worth any weight, are usually refrigerated. There's a couple of shelf-stable soil-based probiotics that are also good as well. Um, But just, you know, make sure that you, you really do get what you pay for in terms of supplements. There, I'll just quickly tell you this story. There was a study done in the state of New York that looked at um, Walgreens pharmacies, and I think at eight out of ten of the Walgreens pharmacies that they that they assessed, the supplements that they took off the shelf actually didn't have the ingredients that were listed uh, in you know on the label in the product. So to me, that was, you know, sort of a wake-up call for everybody to just really be aware of supplement brands. They're not regulated, you know, here in the United States by the FDA, so we really have to be careful about, you know, what we choose. So we talked about probiotics. We talked about the um, omega-3 fatty acids or krill. We talked about the B vitamins. We talked about magnesium, vitamin D, zinc. The antioxidants are also really important, and they're sort of what I call the building blocks of um, you know all of our cellular health. Glutathione is a master antioxidant. That's you know a great thing to um, to supplement when you're under the care of a practitioner. Um, and you know I think just for for um, time's sake, Dr. Carey, that's probably uh, that's probably it in terms of my my four S's. There are also you know a lot of things that we'll get into in terms of. Um, Other alternative treatments that can certainly help neurofeedback, um, essential oils, there's all these other things that I like to call, um, you know, not necessarily magic bullets, but they certainly can be uh, a great addition to, um, you know, a functional medicine approach depending on, um, you know, how and and, and what you want to focus your time and attention on.
1: Yeah, this whole arena of ADHD, it's a pretty big one. It's huge. So we, we just scratched the surface here today. But you, you gave did. us some really great information, some really great basics to get our listeners started. And Chantal, I would love if you could come back on and we can do a part two to this and we can talk about the amino acids. Oh, yes. Talk about breathing techniques and some of these other like complementary treatments as well. Absolutely. I would love to. Okay, so Chantal, how can our listeners find out more about you and where can they learn about your 4S program? Sure,
2: great. So I currently blog at functional pharmacist and that's F-A-R-M pharmacist.com. And you can, you know, follow me there. I am also on Facebook and Instagram and um, just trying to bring you the most um, you know, basic approaches for functional medicine, both for ADHD and just for chronic disease in general. So you can learn more about um, the program there and certainly email me if you have any questions.
1: So I'll make sure that those links are in the podcast notes so that our listeners can easily find you. Fantastic. Chantal, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This has been an awesome interview.
2: It was a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: All right, that wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Chantel Reagan, and I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today, and I'd like to invite you back next week for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Kerry Drisga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone.
0: You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Kerry Drisga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc.